Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, in our last program, you were describing some of the different scientific models creationists have proposed to explain what God did on day two of creation, Mm -hmm. and we simply didn't have enough time to consider all of them in that show. Yeah, Scott, day two of creation. In my opinion, it's the most difficult of the six days of creation to understand. And by that I mean it is very hard to determine what the structure of the earth would have looked like as a result of what God did on that day. And as you pointed out in that last program, what makes it difficult is what God made on day two doesn't seem to exist today, at least (laughs) not in the condition it was when he first made that expanse, as it's called. Yes, it's described in Genesis chapter 1, the day two description in verses 6 through 8. Why don't we just go ahead and read Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. What that sounds like is God put some horizontal barrier through the water on the earth that was there on day one so that some water was above it and some below it. Yeah. Now, there's at least two ways you could imagine what that expanse was. It could be an atmosphere, with the water below it being the oceans and the water above it being a cloud of water vapor. But the problem with that explanation is that vapor canopy, as it's often yeah, called, right. is no longer there. Exactly. And the other explanation that you could imagine is the expanse that God made on day two was a submerged landmass that separated the surface water of the earth, in other words, the ocean, mm. from a vast body of water trapped, we might say, under that landmass, which God then ultimately raised up out of the water on day three. Now, today, we do have lots of water underground, but let's face it, nothing like the water of the oceans that are on the surface of the earth now. And so the problem, or at least one of the problems with that explanation is, where is all that water that was below the land? Right again, Scott. And so the explanation of creationists that interprets the expanse to be referring to the atmosphere is called the vapor canopy theory, or I like to call it a model. Mm, okay. And the explanation that interprets the expanse to be referring to a landmass submerged under the ocean on day two, and then raised up out of the water on day three so that dry land appeared is called the hydroplate model. Both of these models are attempts to explain day two by creationists who interpret the Genesis account of creation literally, meaning they believe that God did indeed create everything in six literal days. And both of these models also have in common the proposal that the reason we don't see the earth in the condition it was in after day three is because the flood dramatically altered the land surfaces of the earth. Well, Dr. Scripture, without discussing the flood and how these different models explain how the dynamics of the water of the flood affected the earth, it seems to me the biggest difference between the vapor canopy model and the hydroplate model is their interpretation of what the expanse was. I mean, the vapor canopy says it was the atmosphere, but the hydroplate model says it was the land. Those are very different meanings. (laughs) They sure are, Scott. And on top of that, 
We didn't read all of what Genesis chapter 1 says about day 2 of creation, because I wanted to wait to read verse 8, which seems to clarify what the expanse was, and therefore creates in my mind the biggest objection to the hydroplate model. Listen to verse 8, quote, And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day, unquote. Now, that word translated heaven can also mean sky, and it is mainly for that reason that the vapor canopy model was proposed, and I have always had a big problem translating that word to mean land, which is what the hydroplate model requires, and I have to admit, it has been for that major reason I've never put much time into studying the hydroplate model. I, for the most part, rejected it on biblical grounds. However, on scientific grounds, the hydroplate model has a lot more going for it as an explanation of the physical features we now observe on the earth. And aside from the meaning of that one word in Genesis 1-8, I think it takes into account the dynamics of the flood and the strata of the crust of the earth and the geology of the continents and mountain ranges, even the ocean floors, better than the vapor canopy model or the catastrophic plate tectonic theory, which we talked about in some detail last week. Another thing to remember about the catastrophic plate tectonic model is that it includes most of the vapor canopy proposals in its model. It just adds more to explain what happened with the land. Okay, Dr. Scripture, in our last program, you said you would explain the hydroplate model, and with all its merits, you seem to be saying it has— I'm interested in hearing what they are, as well as hearing how the hydroplate model can be reconciled with the words of Genesis 1-8, if it even can be. (laughs) Well, okay, Scott, let's start with me asking you a question. Uh, now wait a minute. Didn't I already say somewhere in our conversation that I knew hardly anything about the hydroplate (laughs) theory, model, whatever you want to call it? (laughs) Well, let's call it a model, but I have to admit, I do sometimes call it a theory too. It's not a big deal either way. And not to worry, Scott, just make your best guess. Okay. What do comets, craters on the moon, the Pacific and Atlantic ocean floors... The hundreds of layers of sediment along the walls of the Grand Canyon, the polar ice caps, and clams on the tops of all the (laughs) highest mountain ranges in the world have in common. Based on some of those things, I would have said the Great Flood, but you started by talking about comets and craters on the moon. (laughs) So how about just water or things formed by water? I don't know. (laughs) Well, Scott, that's really good. I wasn't thinking of that answer, but, you know, I think that that would be an accurate description. But actually, the answer I had in mind was the hydroplate model proposes explanations for all those geological and even astronomical features on and above the earth. And according to the hydroplate model, what happened to the waters that were below the expanse and what they did when the great fountains of the deep burst open is the key to all those as well as many other formations on Earth and even in space. Well, Dr. Scripture, if it can really explain all those things, it would be fantastic. But that is quite a claim. Well, I'm not claiming it can. At least not completely, but Walter Brown, the main proponent of the hydroplate theory, as well as several other creationists, do say this model can help us understand all those things and how they occurred by one unifying theory. And the main premise is this. On day two, what God did was form a huge plate of submerged crust on the earth, and below it, like about five miles deep, was a massive reservoir of water. 
so that on day three, when God caused the land to appear, that landmass actually covered a large percentage of the planet, much more so than today. You know, today we have about 70% of the earth covered by water. And under that massive continent of land, the reservoir of underground water... That would have been the waters below the expanse. Yes, part of God's work on day two, that expanse with the water above and below, and that water below the land was compressed. It was under incredible pressure, but there was no place for all that water to go. It almost sounds like the people living on Earth in those days were standing on a ticking time bomb. That's an interesting way to put it, Scott. I guess I'd say everyone was fine. I would imagine God had made everything to hold together very stably. However, all it would take is a poke. (laughs) Like a pin popping a balloon. Uh And all that water would come blasting out. Wow. So the hydroplate model would say that highly pressurized water under the crust of the earth was the source of water in Genesis 7, 11, where it says, all the fountains of the great deep burst open. Precisely. And it also proposes that the water described in the second part of that verse and the floodgates of the sky were opened actually was the water coming back down to earth from what we would call geysers, those fountains of the great deep. That description is very different from the vapor canopy model, which Mm -hmm. suggests that those floodgates of the sky actually came from that vapor canopy. That's right. And this is really the key difference between the two models, although there are other actually significant things. But where the vapor canopy model says the canopy precipitated out of the sky, The hydroplate model says that that water out of the sky actually was from the great fountains of the deep. So now just imagine the hydrodynamics that would be taking place. You've got water blasting up through cracks Mm. in the crust under so much pressure, it could possibly reach escape velocity and even be taking chunks of the crust with it up out of the atmosphere. Mm. The hydroplate model proposes that those rocks may be what struck the moon, creating (laughs) many of the craters which face the earth. Scott, did you know that there are hardly any craters on the backside of the moon? Well, I know now. Yeah, well, we didn't know that until we sent spaceships Mm. out beyond the moon and looked back. You know, the moon doesn't spin. The moon basically has the same side always facing Earth. All those craters that you can see are absent on the backside. There's hardly any cratering. So the hydroplate model is saying this blast from the surface of the Earth hit the side of the moon that faces us, and that's why we can see all those craters. The hydroplate model then also proposes that water and rock, which escape the Earth's gravity, is the source of the comets in our solar system. What is a comet, Scott? In technical terms, it's a dirty chunk of ice, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty good description. And astronomers have been puzzled for decades about where comets came from. The evolutionary explanation is, you know, they were part of the solar system when it condensed. Mm. But if the solar system is billions of years old, as they would claim, there should be no comets. Mm. Because each time a comet goes around the sun, that tail that you see is part of the comet itself, ice crystals being blasted away. Mm. So each time a comet goes around the sun, it gets smaller. So there literally should be no comets left if indeed (laughs) the solar system is billions of years old. But if the comets are from a blast off of Earth back at the time of the flood, well, that easily explains that the comets would still be here. And their orbit, that very elliptical orbit, Mm. could be explained by you've got these chunks of ice and water coming off of the Earth. It shoots out, but then eventually the gravity of the sun draws it back in and you get this huge elliptical orbit. 
And what's really fascinating, because of something that has just happened, we can test this prediction that the hydroplate model would make because if we know what a comet is made of, we can compare it with what is on the Earth. Did you hear about the European Space Agency landing a probe on a comet a few weeks ago? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, well, here's an excerpt from an article dated November 17th, 2014 in the International Business Times titled Comet Landing 2014. Rosetta Probe Discovers Organic Molecules. And the article says, The Filet space probe was powered down earlier than expected but not before an instrument discovered an organic compound that was first detected in the comet's atmosphere. The find is extraordinary considering the organic compound contains the carbon atom, which is the basis of life on planet Earth. Now, of course, the evolutionary uh, explanation is going to say, oh, this shows that life is out there in outer space. But the hydroplate model would actually have a much more reasonable explanation. (laughs) Well, that was just something that came off of the surface of the Earth. So there's more to talk about this hydroplate model, but we're out of time today. Let's conclude the program by reading the account of the day the flood began in Genesis 7-11. On the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened, and the rain fell upon the earth for forty days and forty nights. And that's not what I say, that's what Scripture says.